There are millions of medical devices in use in hospitals and other healthcare facilities throughout the U.S., and many of those medical devices are interconnected, web-facing, and are running legacy software no longer supported by vendors. So what should healthcare entities be doing to protect these devices against emerging cyber threats? I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with Professor Kevin Fu, Director of the Archimedes Center for Medical Device Security at the University of Michigan. Kevin is also Founder and Chief Scientist at Vertal Labs. Kevin will be discussing with us some of the cybersecurity challenges facing medical devices and steps that healthcare entities can take to help address those issues, especially when it comes to legacy systems. So now, Kevin, for starters, in general, what would you say are some of the biggest cybersecurity threats facing medical devices right now? So about eight years ago, a few of us were uh, espousing the notion that it's really more about availability of medical devices, really about the ability of health delivery organizations to deliver patient care is the main risk because when a medical device is compromised or when some accompanying software gets compromised, the biggest risk, in my view, is that those devices become unavailable to deliver patient care. Not exactly made for daytime drama TV, but from a practical point of view, really cuts to the heart of the vulnerability of our healthcare system. Kevin, there are hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions of older medical devices and biomedical equipment that's in use at hospitals and other healthcare facilities. What sort of risks are posed to these gear, especially systems that have these legacy operating systems and other software that's no longer supported by vendors? The two main risks are that the device, when compromised, can become unavailable to deliver patient care. And the other key risk is that the devices no longer have what we call integrity. If a device becomes compromised, then it's entered an unpredictable state that the manufacturer had not anticipated. And so if it's entered this unpredictable behavior, you can no longer count on that device to be safe and effective. So to take that from the abstract to the concrete, an example would be if a diagnostic device begins to give the clinician incorrect information as a result of the compromise. A classic way that this problem can happen is that when a conventional old computer virus, not even targeting a medical device, when it breaks into a medical device, it can change, for instance, the interrupt handler. This is a core part of the operating system. And because of subtle timing changes, you can actually miss sensor readings and get incorrect calculations. Now, a clinician has a safety net. You know, they should understand bogus data from realistic data. But when malware breaks in, it makes it, it starts to remove that safety net. Aside from replacing these older devices with newer devices, which is an expensive endeavor, what else should healthcare entities be doing to address these legacy issues? There's sort of top-level guidance and, and more tactical guidance. But at, at the high level, there are three things that health delivery organizations need to do. And this is based upon guidance coming out of NIST. Uh, the National Institute of Standards and Technology. The first one, and and this is all pretty basic stuff, you just have to do it. One is enumerating your risk. There's a strong tendency for not just hospitals, but anyone to just throw security technologies at the wall and see what works. That's sort of an ad hoc way of doing things. So it's important you first understand really what's at risk. So know your assets, know your inventory, know really what you're up against. 
The second part, and what most institutions are a little better at, is deploy security controls. There's no shortage of security controls there on the market, so people are pretty good at just buying stuff. The trouble is, people are less good at buying stuff that aligns with a specific risk. And that's why the third part that drives from the NIST guidance is to continuously measure the effectiveness of security controls that are deployed. This is probably one of the harder ones because it's very easy to install a piece of security software. It's a lot harder to uninstall it because you think, why would I do that? It's also a lot harder to know when does that piece of security software no longer work as well as it used to. So for example, if you have a firewall and you think everything's fine, but guess what? There are cert reports, there are security vulnerabilities in firewalls. And so if you just assume that these controls are going to work fine for perpetuity, you're really kind of deluding yourselves. So it's, it's important to keep a check, keep safeguards in place to actually measure whatever technology you're deploying is working properly. There are a whole bunch of complexities in, in how you actually carry it out, and I can say it's a headache. Anyone who's got responsibility for this in a health delivery organization really has a lot of work to do. And one of the bigger problems is just there are so many security vulnerabilities, it's, it's hard to know which ones are important. So now, Kevin, you mentioned the patient safety-related issues that can occur with various cyber risks. What about the idea of medical devices also being the weakest link or could be a weak link into an environment and a way to perhaps compromise other systems within the hospital or healthcare setting? Aside from the patient safety issues, do you see that as being a major threat at this point, a major risk? I don't know if I could identify any one single component as the weakest link. It is true that there are quite a few medical devices that use extremely outdated operating systems that are sort of trivial to compromise. But that said, even if every medical device were perfectly secure, there's still opportunities to have these security flaws result in downtime. Um, and that's mainly because, you know, 30 years ago, you'd buy a medical device as a component. Today, when you buy a medical device, it's part of a larger system. They're all interconnected. It's interoperable. Medical records connecting different things. Drug infusion machines communicating with drug libraries to understand the potential drug interactions for a patient. So a lot of security problems really drive from the complexities of these system-level effects, these emergent properties and unintended consequences. So I think to get back to something more concrete, I do think the medical devices need to become secure by design rather than just bolting on something after the fact. But that's not going to happen overnight. And even if you do have a well-designed medical device, you can still make bad wine out of good grapes. And so even if you do have a, a relatively secure medical device, you still have the challenge of, well, how do you configure it to remain secure uh, in your clinical environment. It's a lot harder than it may seem to an armchair engineer because of all the complexities of these interactions. Now, how about access controls on medical devices? How solid would you say medical devices are in terms of allowing just authorized people into using these systems or entering data? What's sort of the status here? Where are the weak points at this stage, you think, for most medical devices? I think one of the weak points for access control really has to do with our mindset of perimeter defense. Perimeter defense, like a firewall, is, is one part of security, but all too often I see enterprises using perimeter defense as their only mechanism of control or access control. 
So it's, it's a part of the solution, but it on its own can lead to a false sense of security. Classic example would be you're going to have access control by firewalling off one of your critical medical devices, and then the vendor comes in and um, asks to turn on remote access to a particular port to do some management of the medical device. Suddenly, your perimeter has been basically softened, and, and that creates an avenue for malicious actors and threats uh, to get in. So the hard part, I think, is going to be how do we move from purely perimeter-based security to something a little bit more baked in, but at the same time, this runs counter to a lot of healthcare where we really need things to fail open. An example would be pacemakers. The last thing in the world you want to do to a pacemaker is set a password. And the reason why is that you might not mind if you get locked out of your webmail account with three incorrect password guesses. But if you guess wrong a couple times on a pacemaker, you don't want that thing to fail closed. Yeah, you need it to fail safely. You need it to fail open. So you get down to certain conflicting engineering goals. But at the end of the day, there will be security based on perimeters, but the perimeter can't be the only way of being the access control. Now, what about medical devices like perhaps imaging systems that may be hosted by third parties or the data is processed by third parties? What sorts of security risks are posed by these situations? And what should entities and third-party vendors be doing to address these security issues? With third-party vendors, especially when using cloud services, and by the way, uh, a large number of medical device manufacturers are looking at how you use the cloud because it can lead to more accessibility, for instance, with the patient being able to access things more easily. There's sort of two big conundrums, one being security and one being privacy. I think more people are familiar with the privacy challenges because it comes with a name called HIPAA for portability. There are some greater challenges for protecting that data beyond your, your typical kind of cloud architecture. But on the security front, I think the main problem gets back to our tendency to focus on perimeter security controls. And so if you have a third party, there is no perimeter. There is no magic surface. There is no gate. They might claim there's a gate, but in reality, there's not. And so if you've designed the security of your system to depend so heavily on a perimeter, it's going to be a lot harder to, to use these kind of cloud services. And Kevin, any advice for healthcare entities in terms of addressing potential malware infections on older medical devices? Right, so it is true that older medical devices are susceptible to old malware pick up an operating system from 10 years ago, got 10 years of malware that can get in. I'd say the biggest problem is not that these devices need to be secured from malware, it's that they need to be tolerant of malware. If the device can function despite the malware, that's, that's called a, a compensating control. If you've got some compensating control to keep the device safe and effective, even though it has malware, then it's a safe and effective device. You know, we as humans, uh, we're basically bags of saline filled with bacteria and viruses, and for some reason, we can still live despite being continuously infected. And so the real trick, I think, for medical devices is how to move from this regime of sort of black and white, are you infected or are you not, to the much more gray of, well, how can we resist these infections such that they just don't cause any harm or they don't cause any um, hazardous situations? The more we can get toward that sort of gray thinking, I think the more resilient our healthcare delivery organizations will be. One of the big stumbling blocks, though, is the workflow. I think you're going to find that a lot of the health delivery organizations are inundated in vulnerability reports. 
And if you get a thousand vulnerability reports, but you don't know which one's the most important, it's not very useful. So I think there needs to be a lot of thought about how do you help the healthcare organizations turn these security warnings into something that's actionable rather than just sort of hair on fire. So it's really triage for, for security problems. And Kevin, looking ahead, any new or emerging threats that pose problems? Anything new on the landscape there that we should be looking at? So I don't think there's anything new, but I do think there are different sort of weighting factors. So for instance, ransomware is not new. This is not the first year we've seen ransomware, but it is the first year we've seen the effects of ransomware become so dramatic. With multiple hospitals being down for a week, it really cuts to the to the real problem, and that is continuity of operations, keeping lights on. It's not new, but I think it's it's risen to a point this year where the health delivery organizations realize that malware can cause real outages, and they, they need to be able to, to treat their patients. That's what they do. Do you think it'll be a matter of time before medical devices are the actual target for ransomware, or is it more sort of a side effect that you know ransomware gets into a, a healthcare system and then medical devices are perhaps affected by it? I think it's hard to predict what's going to happen, but I do think that at the moment, most of our systems were not designed with security as core requirements. So it's not really surprising that things can be compromised. So debating whether malware is going to infect one device or another, to me, is kind of split in Harris. I think we just really need to figure out, okay, rather than worry about all the ways that things could go wrong, why don't we just design away the problems in the first place? And so that comes down to some really basic engineering. It's going to take some time, though. We've got these supply chains sometimes with five or ten years in the making flush out all the old software um, that didn't have the kind of security requirements you'd expect of something connected to the Internet. So it, it's, it's going to be a while. Thanks, Kevin. I've been speaking to Professor Kevin Fu. I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.